Hey, today we're going to talk through Philippians 4, 10 through 13. We're going to talk about learning the secret of true contentment. How many of you would like to be content in your life? All right, I know that's not right. How many of you want to be content in your life? Amen. I mean, look, anybody that says, no, I don't want to be content. Now, we're going to talk about, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not talking about necessarily settling or things like that, but anybody that says, I don't want to be content, I don't want to have contentment in my life, we need to talk. We need to talk after church or something. We need to have contentment. We're good. We're good. I'm good, brother. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Let's go, ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and read that. Here's what it says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances... All right, this is feedback time. What does he say? In, in what circumstances? In? Yeah. Wow, we had a lot of bunch of different translations happen right about then, didn't we? <laughs> in any and what circumstances? All circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do what things? All things through him who strengthens me. I think that's an, an interesting, before we, before we pray over the word, I think that's a very interesting. It says, I am able. It doesn't say I do all things through him who strengthens me. Because a lot of times we don't do things through him. We try to do things ourselves. But he does say, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That one's free right there. That one just, spirit just dropped that one in my, in my heart. Let's pray over the word. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. But we thank you that you also have left us this word for us to uh, see the application today. Not just something historical, but right now, right here in our lives in this moment. So God, I pray that you'll open our hearts up. We're in so many different circumstances, and every one of us has a unique situation to us. And yet, God, you're able to take, and through your amazing power and through the operation of your spirit making things alive in our hearts, you're able to take this word that we're all going to hear and make it work in our situation. And so, God, I thank you. I'm amazed by that. But, God, I'm always in awe of you. As we just sang, I'm in awe of you. And so, God, do the work that only you can. God, let us stay out of the way. Let your word speak for itself. God, let us see that we truly are able to do all things through your son, Jesus Christ, who strengthens us, including being content. And so, God, we're going to give you all the praise and all the glory. For you alone are worthy. We just pray and believe these things. In Jesus' name, and the church together said, Amen. Amen. So we're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about contentment today. I want to read you a statement um, out of uh, the commentary, high-definition high commentary on Philippians. This is what it says. Being content is not contingent upon having all that you want. Okay, that? Being content is not contingent upon having all that you want, 
but on being thankful and satisfied with what you have. The problem is that the more we get, the more we tend to want. If our contentedness is contingent upon our desires being met, then we are destined to be dissatisfied. Wow. Think about that. If, if contentment is contingent on our desires being met, and he says, then we're destined to be dissatisfied. Why? Because our desires always change. They always grow. And yet then we never find contentment. We're going to talk about that a little more toward the end of, of this. But I want us to start off noticing something important about what Paul said. In this verse, in, chapter, in verse 12, he said, I have learned the secret of being content. Two important words to me in, in this, this verse. And it's learned and it's secret. It, it's not something that just got revealed to him. So that's what we would really like, isn't it? We would like for most things to just be revealed to us. And, and I even see a trend to that in the faith community today where people are seeking a revelation and what that says to me, just to be honest, is it says I want lazy Christianity. Because I don't want to have to learn something. I would just like for it to be revealed to me. So that, that, that I can just step over here and I don't have to put any effort in. I mean, look, how, you, how many of you remember when you were in high school? Were you, how many of you were good studiers? You really liked to study and, and you... See, we got a couple of those. All the rest of us just looked over and went... Pfft. No, we love y'all. How many of you, you tended at times to like cram at the end of the... Yeah, you can raise both hands if you have to. I mean, just, you know, look like, you know, we're doing gymnastics in here, people. Why? Because, because we tended to not want to have to put the effort in to learn, right? We, you, you wanted to do something else. You had something every day that instead of stopping and going and doing your homework and working through and, and you never even thought about saying, I should do a couple of extra math problems to just really work that out and just solid, right, right? You were sitting there going, how many do we have to do? Ten? My, I'm going to die. Y'all know, you were, you were pretty dramatic, you know, when you were teenagers. I know you were, because I was, you know. And I know some of y'all, y'all more drama than I am now. So, so I know you were dramatic when you were, when you were in school. So, I mean, you weren't sitting there going, I need to do some extra ones just because of a, the, the fun of it? No. Because I know I need to do it? No. You might have turned in some papers and you left a couple of them off, in fact. Why? Because we didn't, we didn't really like the idea of having to go learn this. You know, I want to go play basketball, or I want to go ride my bike, or I wanted to go do something else. You know, I'm going to go hang with my friends, we're going to the mall, wherever it is y'all go now. Because the mall's like dying here in Oxford, so. Right? Walker says y'all can come hang out at Haverty's. But you got to buy stuff. And I don't think you're old enough to apply for credit yet, so we can't. But look, I mean... Look, you, you want to go do something else, right? But then, you know, because, you know, if it's a pop quiz, now you're just in trouble. You better study up, you know, or you, else you're just praying. And I, there's more prayer. I don't care what they say about you can't pray in school. There's prayer. Y'all know there is because you hadn't been studying because you think you got it narrowed down. Because y'all know some of y'all thought you were smart enough 
that you were going, I have figured out the teacher's pattern. And she doesn't do the pop quizzes until Wednesdays. So Tuesday night, I finally will cram and do a little bit of studying just in case. And then she popped up with a pop quiz on Tuesday. And you went to the Lord. <laughs> oh, dear Jesus. You want nothing sacrilegious about what you was doing. You just didn't really have a whole lot of relationship going on up until then. But you know, you were, I mean, there's kids everywhere. You're looking around, you're thinking, if people are asleep, no, they're talking to Jesus. Because teachers just said, it's a pop quiz. These kids don't even believe in Jesus and they're praying. They go, oh, Lord, help us somehow. <laughs> Y'all prayed for all kind of stuff. Y'all were bad. You just praying for sickness. You just praying for, oh, let her have a stomach ache. You know, a stomach ache right now. Just, just got to leave the room. We didn't, we didn't want to do it. But if you knew, if the teacher told you, hey, there's going to be a test and it's going to be on Friday, then y'all know at midnight Thursday night, you know, your parents are coming to the door going, hey, lights out. No, I got to study. Well, when did you start? Like five minutes ago. There's a test in the morning, first period. Going, wow. But life's not that way, right? Life doesn't necessarily tell you, hey, the test is going to be on Friday. Life doesn't tell you that, hey, you're going to be going along and all of a sudden you're going to, you're going to you know, feel something odd in your body. You're going, to feel, you're going to go to the doctor and find something out. Life doesn't tell you that, hey, you're going to show up at work you know, tomorrow and they've been talking behind closed doors that they're going to close the plant and you didn't know. Life doesn't always tell you that there's going to be a car accident. Life doesn't tell all these things that, that life throws our way. The test isn't usually, it's pop quizzes, guys. The problem is it's usually pass or fail in a lot of things sometimes. It can be really destructive. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of just makes up about 25% of your grade, you know, and, and you can work your way through it and God gives you some extra credit stuff that you can do. You know, praise God for extra credit stuff, because y'all know, y'all know when y'all were in school, you were going, oh, please, let us, let us write a three-page report on something to get some points back. Even in math. Yes, anything. Then all of a sudden, you're doing some extra stuff, right? Paul said that he learned the secret. We, we, we'd love for it to just be revealed. I mean, look, when we all first got married, how many of you have been married more than five years? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Who's been married more than 20 years? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh my goodness, you're not going to be married much longer you keep talking like that. <laughs> Remember last week, she's going to bring the heat, brother. Bring, come on. How, how long have y'all been married? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 28. Oh, see, I was hoping I was hoping we were going because we're, you know, we'll be 25 this year. So they still got us beat, you know, three more years. All right. So how many of you, you've been married, you've been married five years or more. So if you've been married less than five years, you're still learning anyway. You, you're still learning the basics. The rest of us, we hope we're still learning. How many of you wish that the moment that you were going to get married, that when, when the minister or the JP or whatever it was, you know, said, it's, it's, it's over, it's done, and presenting, what, however they ended it for you. How many of you wish that right then it would have been revealed to you everything you needed to know about your spouse? Oh, can I? Yes, yes. Look, that was a hand-raising moment. It's okay. Both of you can raise your hands. 
See, this is one of those today where everybody's just going, yes, Jesus, raise your hands and your feet. Get up and shout. Do a little dance. It'd be, you know. We'd, that'd be great, wouldn't it, if it would just be revealed. How many of you, when you had kids? <laughs> wow. Man, I done opened that can, didn't I? How many of you wish the moment that you would have had kids, they would have revealed to you? Yeah, I don't even have to get it out and people are going, I don't know what it is, but I wish it would have been revealed. You're going, I wish it would have been revealed that I would have known when they were finally going to sleep for at least three or four hours at night. I get tickled now, you know, because Caleb's our youngest and he's fixing to be 18 and, and, uh, and Alexis is fixing to be 25. And so I, I, I get amused because I'll see people post stuff on Facebook and they're like, they slept for like five hours last night. And I'm going, oh, I, I just have a moment with the Lord. I just want you to know. I do. I have a moment and I go, oh, Jesus, I remember those days. I can tell you about the time. I can tell you about the place where the Lord saved me. Let that kid sleep for five hours. And I guarantee you, if I walked in there to Michelle and said, hey, you remember when the kids first started sleeping? We'd have a church service right then. She'd be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you got to reflect back sometimes, right? Did it happen that way? No. No, what you learned over time, you experienced things and you learned. We would love to read this scripture and see Paul saying, hey, guys, here's what's going to happen. If, if you just pray the right prayer, or if you just say the right thing, or if you get in the right place and you listen to the right worship music, and it can't be more than like five years old because it won't be the right worship music, you know, to get revealed. If that's, I mean, that's the way we think, right? You know, it needs to be like house fires or something like that. We did some house fires this morning. Um, it's got to be something like that. And, and you got to be in your prayer closet, you know, and, and you got to have the door shut and you got to be in just the right position. And, and if you do, God's just going to reveal everything that you need to know and boom, and you're going to be content with your life. We would all be at home tonight in a prayer closet with stuff just blaring out some house fire stuff. And we would, and if y'all don't know what house fire is in, you need to go home and look that up because that's some good worship music. But it's not the way it works. Paul learned through the process of living, catch this from the scriptures that, that we read. He said, I've learned the secret of being content. And then how does he describe that? He says, I, I'm, I'm going to modify this a little bit. It's going to be the NIV version, the Nathan inverted version. I'm going to give you this. <laughs> here's, what he's, here's what he really says. He says, I've been fed, but I've been hungry. I had abundance... I was in need. That is how I learned. Man. You know, honestly, when we read Scripture like this, we're going, God, I, I don't know that I want to sign up for that. I don't know that I want to sign up for learning to be content by going through the various stages of that. I don't, I don't know that I want to go through not having and then having and then maybe not having again. I don't know if I want to learn that. I made the statement here before that we want to have the power of having learned things, but we don't want to go through the process of having learned things. But it's the process that works things out of us. You think about when you, the illustration that's used most often is when people talk about silversmiths and, and them taking and 
as they melt silver down, all the impurities rise to the surface, right? You've probably heard this. And so they will take and skim the impurities, the dross off of the surface so that it's left and, it, and it's more pure. Well, that sounds all cool to us until we start thinking about, then that means I'm going to come under fire. That means I'm going to go through the difficult things and it's going to cause all the stuff that doesn't need to be there to bubble to the surface. And now I have a choice because if, if the purifier just left that silver in that condition and then turned the fire off, then it would solidify again. And now all that's on the outside is all the impurity. And it's even worse because now it has hidden the pure silver that would be underneath. So unless you not only keep the fire there to keep things bubbled to the surface, but unless you have someone external to the item that will take and scoop away those things and remove them, David would pray like this at times in the Psalms. He would say, God, search me and know me. See if there's any unclean thing in me. And if there is, then purify me. Get that stuff out of me. We read that in the Psalms and we go, yes, God, I want to pray that. Man, sometimes that scares me to think about praying that. I don't mean scare as in, you know, an ungodly fear or whatever, but it brings a cautionary note to my thinking because I'm going, we like to convince ourselves that God doesn't already know, right? You know, we're, we're kind of like, you know, if I'm going to pray and say, God, search me and know me, you know, he hasn't looked in that little spot in my heart up till now, right? That's kind of what we fool ourselves into thinking, as if he doesn't already know. But the prayer of doing that, like David did, is opening ourselves up to say, God, I'm going to recognize and understand that you are looking into my heart, that you're seeing what's there, and I'm going to let my mind grasp that concept. Because when I finally understand and am willing to accept that God is seeing that thing that I know that's there, I, something has to happen. I either have to say, no, God, I'm going to shut the door and I'm going I'm to go get my drill and some screws and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a latch on there and I'm going to padlock that thing because I don't want you to go in that place. But you got to make a choice or else you're going to say, God, I want to throw that door wide open and let the light shine in and let what's in there be seen. How many of you have ever, you had somebody, you know, maybe they showed up at the front door. Nowadays they can text you and say, hey, we're coming over to your house right quick. All the ladies go, oh, dear Lord. All the guys are going, What? And she's going, what, this, what, we can't have people coming over. It's gonna, get that stuff. Put that stuff. Have you ever shoved something in the closet? I mean, other than your husband, uh, you know, or the kids, you know, you shove something in, or you shove something in the dishwasher. The, you know, here in a minute, you're going, where's the cat? You're going, wrong thing for the dishwasher. <laughs> Spin cycle. Wow, 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 it's, it's all good, right? Hello, kitty. <laughs> we, try to, we try to hide things. We go, make, nobody will see it. Just close the door to the bedroom. Nobody will see any of that, right? But God sees all of that, and, and he already knows it in advance. I don't know why we get all that worried about God knowing it when we finally decide, because he's seen it the whole time. He still loves you. He's still reaching out. He's wanting you to learn. He's wanting us to learn and accept these things. The idea that 
that this is a secret is interesting to me. I've learned the secret of being content. In other words, it's not something that's just readily known by people. Think about it. Look, look around. You can watch the news. You can, you can look at a newspaper. It doesn't matter how you get your news. You know, scroll it across your feedly. You know, that's what I use. But, you know, see what's coming across on blogs and whatever else. Man, people are not content. Our country's not content. And there's good reasons for a lot of that. But, but people are just not content. M- marriages, people are not content. Jobs, people are not content. Personal things, people are just not content. Finances, people are not content. I mean, you name the topic and, and there's somebody that's not content. And it's, and it's spilling over and it's showing up all over the news and in our society. And, and, but it's also showing up in the church. It's showing up that people just aren't content. And so the struggle is real. And we're over here trying to figure out what's the secret of being content, it conveys an idea that it's more difficult to grasp. It's not just an easy transfer of knowledge. Paul understood this because he immediately follows up that statement where he says, hey, I've learned this secret, and he kind of tells us what the answer is. He says, here's what I've determined is the secret of being content. It's that I'm able to do all things, but I'm able to do those through him who strengthens me. What are all things? They're all things, right? You know, and that's not a, that's not a secret. That's not, a, that's not like a trick question or something. You know, but what are all things? And people go, ah. People don't make eye contact with you about that time. You know, you look around and, you know, and you go, what are all things? And people go, oh. They're just all things. What do all things include? I mean, now, now, all things is not the answer to this one. I want some specifics. What do all things include that you would have to be having God strengthen you to be able to do? What are, what are some of those all things? Sickness. Sickness. Death. Marriage. Marriage. Work. Work. Kids. Life in general. Finances. What else? Friends. Friends. Yeah. What else? Church. Church. Entertainment. Entertainment. Oh, oh, what else? Just all kind of stuff, right? I mean, anything that you're dealing with, there can be difficulties that we face and we're trying to figure out how to get through those things. And so we start relying on our own ingenuity and we start trying to plan. And, and, and look, now, I, I find I, I come down kind of in the middle on, on this situation because I believe that God has given us a mind for a reason. I believe that God has given us a, a, a mind that is to have sense. I mean, the Bible says He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of what? Of a sound mind. Okay? Good thinking and, and solid belief and all that stuff. So I, I'm a firm believer that it's not about telling people, check your brain at the door. I would greatly appreciate if you come here, don't check your brain at the door. Why? Because, because you need, God designed you and, and, and planned you out and, and built us with this brain to be able to take information in and assimilate that and then be able to look at things in our lives. And everything is not a matter of prayer. Oh, oh. Some things are not a matter of prayer. It is a matter of do what you already know. Do what you've learned out of God's word. If God's word says in all your ways, acknowledge him. 
And he'll direct your past and you don't have to stop and go, God, do I need to follow you in this? <laughs> now you may have to be praying, God, what's my direction in this? But you don't have to, you don't have to stop and pray and go, God, should I lie about this? Right? God, should I steal this? God, should I hit her over the back of the head with a... Okay, all right, no. Actually, it would probably be the ladies that would be thinking that one. And don't call the pastor or send me a text and go, is it okay to ask forgiveness after I premeditatedly do this? Uh, you know, it's kind of like doctors. I know we got that, you know, pastor, you know, congregant, you know, we, we, we keep stuff secret or whatever, but man, I mean, you're going to make me nervous. I won't turn my back on you next time I'm around you. We don't have to, everything's not a matter of prayer. Some things are a matter of do what you have already learned out of God's word. As I was thinking through this whole, this whole concept this week, I started seeing some pictures. Uh, Jimmy Barry, you guys know that preached our first service here in this building. Uh, it's the missionary that, that uh, we go to Uganda with. Jimmy's been posting pictures because he had just flown back. And, um, and so uh, he's got all these pictures in, in a lot of the towns where we were, in Kampala and, and some other places. And so I saw one picture this week that he posted, and it was on the railroad tracks where that we were um, there, in, and I think the, it was in Soweto. Yeah. And, and so as soon as I saw the railroad tracks, I mean, it's not that I recognized that particular spot, but when it said where it was and I saw the railroad tracks, that's actually where we were in uh, the slum there where Bird was sharing the gospel with a young man who came to Christ that was, that was Muslim, and, th and then I was in the gambling tent. <laughs> but I was sharing the gospel. I just want you to know. Because I had no idea how to do what they were doing, so I was like, ah, oh, let's just share the gospel, right? Y'all get that joke later, I promise. It'll, it'll, it'll come to you, you know. Listen to the podcast later, and you'll be like, oh, that was funny right there. We were, he always does these very dramatic-looking uh, filters on, on his pictures he takes with his phone. And, and there, were, there were a couple of kids that were alongside the railroad tracks, and, and they were, uh, there was some stuff being cooked, and then people are, and it's a market and all that stuff. And he made this statement there. He said, uh, he put a caption on it. It said, life in, uh, I think it said life in the slums. Something to that effect. I always read a lot of times the responses. Because sometimes, if you don't realize on social media, the responses are far better than the content of the original post. Right? And so I'm reading the, the comments down below and and a lady responds and she says, I cannot imagine living like this. And I, my first thought was, I had already seen, I think, Mahindo Jotham and some of the other guys that are there in Kampala that are, and, and there in Uganda that are, that are native to the country that we, they interpreted for us when we were there, and fantastic followers of Christ. I mean, man, they're just out sharing the gospel all the time, leading people to Christ and growing home churches and all this stuff. And I'd already seen that they had clicked like on the picture. And the first thing that popped into my mind was, I wonder how they feel seeing someone from America describe the normal conditions and saying, I can't imagine living like that. 
Because I, I knew it wasn't a response that was, you know, saying, no way, I'm going to live like that. It wasn't that. But we have defined a norm for ourselves. I'm going somewhere with this. We've defined an Americanized version of what we think life is supposed to be like. And so when we read scriptures, we apply that Americanized filter onto what we read, which is a problem for us. See, we read Paul saying that he's learned what it is to have a little. He's learned what it is to have a lot. He's learned what it is to be in abundance, and he's learned what it is to be in need. And we immediately, all of you, the minute that I read that earlier, whether you stopped and really thought about it, you got some mental image of what those things looked like. You got some frame of reference that you applied and said, and you probably applied something out of your life. You probably had a a momentary, and if not, you're doing it right now because that's, you know, I'm psychologically manipulating you right now to make you think about that. And you you started thinking, okay, here's a time when we didn't have something. And then you then thought about, and here's when we did have. But it was some version that fits our Americanized view of that. Most of us, have not been in a position like what we saw in Uganda. They, we've not been in a position where not having meant no electricity, no gas, no running water. If you want some, you know, to cook something, you're going to go get some firewood from somewhere. And most of the time, it's a long ways off, and you're going to go bring that back. If you do get some water, you're going miles and miles to a pump somewhere, and then you're bringing back this giant thing of water on your head, and, and, and you're walking. We're not talking you're walking paved roads, and you know, you're not walking around Chocolata Park, guys. You're like walking through the woods, Kappa. I mean, just stuff that's... And, and, and you're balancing this, and you're coming back, and, and so you're going to eat that one meal. I continue reminding you guys that we, we went to one of the homes that was a, a manna recipient, where they, for like six months, they, they provide food and certain things that, that uh, allow them to save money to be able to start a business. And we went to one of the homes, and they, they had several children, and we were asking about school because we didn't know. We you don't know when you first go what not to ask. Or if I ask this, I'm going to get an answer that's going to shock me, right? And so we're asking about, you know, oh, your kids are old enough to go to school. And, you know, how do they go? And the lady starts explaining because you pay to go to school, like grade school type stuff. You pay to go to school. And they can't afford for all of the kids to go to school at one time. So like one child goes... For a, for a semester, then another child goes the next, and then another child goes the next. So kids are getting like a third of an education over a period of time. And, but we have this vision that, oh, well, you just, you just send kids to school. It's free. they got to let you send kids to school. And we have this Americanized version of everything. So if we all of a sudden were picked up from where we are, and we were taken over and dropped into that situation, our idea of contentment would be very different. 
The gospel is not American. The gospel is not any. It's not Israeli. The gospel is universal. It is meant to apply. And so when we read something that says, I know what it is to have a little, and I know what it is to have a lot, and I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have abundance, this has got to be able to make sense and be understood from a global perspective. So how do you go into a situation where the, in the United States, maybe we would look at something and go, I would not be content living like that. Take that, drop it into Uganda, and people would be rejoicing. People would feel like they had won the lottery. Oh my goodness, you can eat three meals a day, you just don't like what you're eating? You wouldn't pick that? But it's not bad, and it's good, and oh, and you have a refrigerator? Oh, and you can go to this thing and turn this, this knob... And, and clean water comes out. And it's kind of cold. Or it's hot. Oh, and, and you're upset because that the car that you go get in to drive 20 miles to a job that you tell everybody that you hate. This is not an amening moment of the sermon, is it? I mean, people are just like, you're going, I hate that car. You know, air conditioning don't work with about half the time and blah, blah, blah. People are going, air conditioning? What is that? Right? Car. We don't get a car. We're going to walk. We, we just have this Americanized version of what does it mean to be content? I thought about all of this and Paul saying that he was going through all these extremes and it made me realize that that what we kind of interpret as being our version of what we think Christianity looks like or a blessed life looks like, it doesn't really look like what the New Testament showed as, as Christians and followers of Christ that were blessed. Because New Testament Christians were often hunted, they were persecuted, they were ostracized, things were taken from them, they had to do things in secret, much like still happens in some other countries around the world. But that, that was kind of normal. You, you didn't have to sneak here today. We didn't have to have people parking across about a four-mile radius so that nobody would see that there was a group of cars here. We didn't have to, to, to disguise the outside of the building so that nobody would know we were here. We didn't have to come in and not use instruments or, or just sing really, really low so that no one would know that we, were, you know that we were singing and that we were a church and none of that stuff. We didn't have to do any of those things. We could come in here and at the top of our lungs, we could give praise to God. We could sing. We could do all this stuff. We didn't have to worry, you know, any of those things. When we walk out of here, you can go to the restaurant and when you sit down, you can grab hands and you can pray over your food and nobody, you know, not yet, nobody's going to look and say, you got to get up and get out or, hey, call the police or they're going to come and arrest you. These people must be those Christian folks and put you in jail. We have this Americanized version of this. And so I started thinking, I was going, man, maybe what we describe as a blessed life, therefore we get content if it happens that way. We're not content if it's not happening that way. Does that really look like what we see in Scripture? Because our expectation defines our level of contentment. If you don't expect much, then you can get contented pretty easily, right? 
They usually call those people low maintenance. But y'all know. Some of y'all probably dated somebody. You might have married them. God help you. You might, you probably, (laughs) nobody wanted to respond to that. You probably dated somebody at some point. It might have been, there was high maintenance. Oh my goodness. I mean, you can go, you can go broke dealing with that. High maintenance. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people in your spiritual life. They're kind of, they kind of get high maintenance, right? This is what I, I started thinking. Our version of, of, of a good life is we have an above average paying job. We need to have a larger than necessary home, right? Have you ever noticed that, that what happens with people as they get older? You'll hear them talk about, we need to downsize. We got too much house. Why? Because they'll say, the wife normally will say, I can't keep cleaning all this. We got rooms we don't even use. It wasn't until we were there, you know, and you got, I, I saw, man, you know, you got like one room, one room. And, and you're sleeping and you're eating and what, but you're going to go outside the rest of the time, right? Our kids would die. How are you going to hook a PlayStation up out in, the, you know, out in the middle of the front yard with no electricity? They'd learn about solar power in a heartbeat. They'd be all over it. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's, that's what this, how the saying goes. We, need, we, we think you've got to have a car and a truck for each spouse, Right? Because, oh my goodness, if we have to share a vehicle. Now, look, I'll be honest. My, my daughter and my son-in-law, you know, they're living there right outside of State College, Pennsylvania. And, and I actually caught myself thinking about this this week because it happened to me when they first moved up there. I was like, man, how are y'all going to get by with one car? Come on. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Because they both work. And they're like, well, you know, he takes me to work. And then, because, see, a, a, our mentality has gotten to, this is what we believe is normal and natural, right? We not only think you're supposed to have a car and a truck for each spouse, but then once the kids get, they think they're all supposed to get a vehicle. I'm supposed to have a personal vehicle, right? So you're supposed to have like five vehicles at your house. Your husband, your wife. And then as you get older, you decide, well, we need one that we just drive around on the weekends too, right? Because we need us a little convertible. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's something wrong. I'm just saying our mindset gets to that and we have difficulty understanding these scriptures. We think we need to have new clothes when we want them because we have clothes that are just for fashion. Right? You just have clothes that look good. And when you put them on, you feel good. And then you go in there and you go, honey, don't I look good wearing this? Or actually, if you're TJ, you ask women in the store, am I just telling your story? I'm sorry. You just asked some woman right up in the store because, because you say, I can't ask, I can't ask, you know, my new mom because if I ask new mom, she's going, she's just going to say, Hey, let's go. I think that's what you kind of told me. I'm sorry. My distemper, but you told it out in public. So, so he just looks at a girl in the store and says, I look good. Don't I? Sorry, I just ratted you out right, right up in here. <laughs> Go back. If you, don't fall asleep when? Because I'll tell stories. Look, y'all know we got clothes that they're not utilitarian. You're not going to wear them out to go work in the yard and get something done. You're not going to wear them to work. Oh, no, those aren't work clothes. Man, everybody around the world don't have that, guys. They're not thinking. So we just got this mindset. We got various types of food in the cabinet. How many of you, you know, you or your kids have walked into the kitchen? And open the cabinet 
And there's stuff all in the cabinet. You look down in where you got the canned goods. There's stuff all down there. You go to the refrigerator. There's stuff in the refrigerator. And your kid will come to the door. <laughs> Mom, when you go into the grocery store, because there ain't nothing to eat in here. Y'all know it. It happened. That's a pathetic word. I mean a prophetic word. No, I'm just kidding. Look, why? Because we have this perception. It's not reality, right? It's not reality. You walked in there, there's plenty of stuff to eat. It's just not what you want to eat. Thinking about all this stuff, it made me think about something. If we can't be content in the moment, then we'll never be content. Think about when you had your first job. Maybe your first job was when you were a teenager. Now, you didn't get paid a whole lot, did you? Right? But didn't you get kind of excited, though, that you had some money? Because, like, if your friends didn't have a job and you had a J-O-B, you were like, oh, you're pulling out flashing them ones. Right? You know, it wasn't the Benjamins. It was just the ones. But you was like, oh, yeah. I got, we're going to go get something to eat? Oh, yeah, I got it. As long as everybody eat for, like, five bucks. Right? But then nobody else had five bucks, so you was excited. And, and you, there was a level of contentment that you had because you just kind of pay him for some stuff. Remember when, then when you, when you, maybe when you first got married and maybe if you got married a little later, you had a little better job. But I, I remember when we first got married, I was making minimum wage. And, but man, I was excited, you know, you had stuff. I look back now, you know, 25 years later and you think through the progressions that you did in, in your jobs and how you did better or whatever. You ever notice that you're not, sometimes you're often not any more content because you make a little more or whatever else than you necessarily were when you didn't have a whole lot? The things really didn't do it because your perception changed. The more, I always tell people, hey, money's not going to fix stuff for you, you know, in the sense of contentment because the more that you have, then that becomes your new standard. That becomes your new standard. In fact, I want to share this with you. Here's an awesome book. I've had this book for I don't know how many years. Anybody read the title? Sacred Cows Make the Best Burgers. All right. It's an awesome book. I, I, I'm not doing a book sale today, but, but, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story out of this book as we close. Um, I recommend this book to anybody that's in a leadership, any kind of leadership position in their job. In fact, I'm probably fixing to, here within the next two weeks, I'm fixing to give it to a whole bunch of new leaders because I'm you know, starting a new job tomorrow. So uh, I'm going to share this book with these guys. I read it about once a year. It's a great book because it talks about the things that, um, that we tend to make sacred and then we, we, we won't give those things up. One of the things it talks about is an oil change business. I'm going to get you all the way back to Scripture, I promise, here in a minute. It's an oil change business. It says, here was the expectation at one point in time when all of these places like, you know, Lube Express and things like that popped up. What did they used to advertise? They would advertise, we'll change your oil in 30 minutes or less for like $29.99, right? So that was your expectation. I'm going to pull my car in. When they start working on it, and early on, because pizza places used to do this stuff too, but early on, you know, you'd be sitting there timing them. All right. 30 minutes or less. And as long as they got done in 30 minutes and they changed your oil and they put a new filter on and all that, you were like, awesome, guys. Pay my $29.99 plus tax. I'm good to go. Travel on. 
These guys tell a story in there how a, a, uh, one of these companies in a, in a town, they had several locations, well, they decided to do a limited time promotion. And so what they did was they said, not only will we change your oil for $29.99 in less than 30 minutes, but we're going to vacuum the interior of your car and wash your windows. So they did that for like 30, 45 days. Well, the next time that people came back after that experience, the promotion had ended. But people had enjoyed the last experience where I paid $29.99 and you not only changed my oil and all that, but you also vacuumed out my car and you washed my windows and now I come back and you're charging $29.99 and you're not doing that. And, and people were sending in negative feedback. 45 days before, they were thrilled with the service. They got the same service, you know, a couple of months later, had the one in between where they got the limited time promotion. But the negative feedback was happening. Why? Because the, the expectation had been changed. And so they thought, hey, we're doing this great thing because we're going to do this promotion and people are going to be excited. But then people very rapidly will adjust their expectations. And, well, now you're overcharging me. Because for $29.99, you did all this before. Now you're not. Yeah, but two times ago, we did the same thing. And I was thinking about that and this book as I was reading this idea of contentment because the reality is that this is our human response to things, including spiritual things. We go along and God just blesses us in some way. He blesses you financially. He blesses you in something else. And then the next thing you know, that happens is not along that path. Maybe somebody gets sick or whatever, and we go, whoa, what is God doing? I mean, God, everything was so great. I had this great job. I had this great stuff that was going on. And, and now somebody gets sick. Where did God go? Because our idea of our expectation and what we're looking for in being content, it, if we're not careful, it just fluctuates. And it gets centered around the things versus the core thing. Look, if you go and, and you have your oil changed somewhere down here and they wash your windows and they vacuum out your... Just be feel blessed. Just think that's great. But what did you really go there for? You went there to get an oil change. When we came to Christ, did you come to Christ because, well, God, I want you to fix all my job stuff, or God, I want you to fix and, and make me be rich? And I mean, is that why you came to Christ? Is that why you prayed and accepted Him as Lord and Savior of your life? Or did you come to Him because you recognized that we were sinners in need of a Savior? That we needed God's grace, that we needed His mercy, and, and so we come to Him. And, and if He chooses to bless us in our lives in those particular ways then wow, that is fantastic and I'll enjoy it in the moment and I will be thankful for that happening. But my contentment is found in Him through which I can do all things. My contentment is not found in do I have a great house, a great job, or great things. Because if that is our contentment, then I don't know what to say to our brothers and sisters in other places in the world that don't have those things. And so if I look at other people around the world and they're content in Christ, and yet we're sitting here not content in those things, then it must mean that that's not accurate for where our contentment should be. 
I can't give people all around the world the kind of job that many of you and that I have. I can't give people around the world the homes that we have. In fact, lots of people around the world don't have the kind of homes that all of us have. I can't give people all around the world everybody having two or three vehicles at their house. No, I can't do that. But you know what I can give them that we all can have? I can give them Christ. Because it is in Him that we find our satisfaction. It is in Him that we find our contentment. That is the secret that, that Paul said, in all circumstances, I can find myself being content. Does it mean that you need to be satisfied if, if you don't have a great job? You shouldn't look for a better job? Does it mean that you shouldn't, you know, that you should be satisfied with the condition of your marriage or the condition of your friendships? Or what? No, that's not the point. There's nothing wrong with us trying to pursue and allow for God to lead us to things that are even better than where we are. But can you be content? In Him, even in the middle of what's going on. Can you? Be, because if not, then we're going to find ourselves dissatisfied every time something goes wrong. Dissatisfied with God. It's all, I, I'm all for you being dissatisfied with your circumstance. Look, because being dissatisfied with a circumstance will make you fight to get out of it. It'll make you fight for a marriage because you're dissatisfied with the condition that it's in. It'll make you fight to solve your financial issues because you're overspending or whatever else because you get tired of that situation. Being dissatisfied with that will make you fight for a way out. But in the middle of all of that, can we find ourselves content in Christ and in what He's done? Paul said, I've learned. I know how to have a little. I know how to have a lot in any in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And here's what I find. I find that I am able to do all things. That means I can go through the hard times. It means I can face a little over a year ago being told I've got cancer. It means I can face Losing a loved one. I can face cancer hitting two other loved ones. Does it mean it's easy? Does it mean no? The psalmist didn't say, yea, though I walk through the valley of joy and flowers and bunnies hopping around. And, right? He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because of who is with me. Because I can do all things, including walk through this moment. In the midst of the storm, I am holding on to I am. Let's pray.